Hi, I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 44 of Shades of Brown. And this week, we're going to start off with some uh, announcements, I guess. Uh, Apple announced the uh, sort of release date, or rather order by date of the iMac Pro. Uh, and I just want to say that uh, you need to publicly admit that you were Yes, I was about to get said- to that, Christian. I was, <laughs> I was getting to it. Uh, okay, so this, was, this happened in a conversation, I think, a couple of days ago. Uh, on the weekend, uh, I, I mentioned the question that Apple's not going to announce it in December, just not enough time. Uh, but they did it. Uh, so I was wrong. Uh, happens. Happens more <laughs> often than, than you think it does. Uh, I thought, I mean, they shifted earlier than I thought they would. I thought they were going to wait until like December yeah. 29th, right? To be like, oh, pre-orders are not allowed. Yeah, I mean, some of the models are not going to be shipping till next year anyway, because, you know, hardware uh, is a thing. You can't just make hardware out of thin air, so... Uh, that's that's a thing, but they are it's the uh, when, 14 and the 18 core ones, right? Yeah, when, when are they available by pre order? I'm not sure actually about that, but uh, uh, so the 14th, which is tomorrow, tomorrow, Thursday, okay, yeah, okay, so you can start pre ordering it. Um, and ship dates, or who knows, right? Yeah, so maybe ship it might date. be limited, like the iPhone 10, right? Might be a month out, might be like the AirPods, or they might just have a bunch ready to go. I, I think I, depend- I assume that they'll probably have some yeah. like pre pre built configurations, yeah, right? That you uh, can buy at Apple stores yeah. at the very least. Uh, but anything custom will probably just have to wait until next year. Yeah, anything custom, I would imagine, would probably get pushed back into the queue until next year, uh, just, just because of uh, manufacturing constraints. But let's talk about that. Like a few reviewers, uh, a few. Uh, well, wait, first, should we talk about like what's actually inside this thing? So uh, the one that's shipping this year um, will be either a 10-core or 14-core Intel Xeon chip. I believe there... No, no, wait. 8 and 10-core ship this year. 14 and 18-core ship next year. It starts at 5,000 American. Um, it comes with 32 gigs of RAM by default, but you can get it all the way up to 128 gigs of RAM. It comes with a uh, AMD Vega Yeah, Ve- chip. Uh, Vega 64. Uh, Radeon uh, chip. I'm not actually too familiar with AMD's graphics chips at this point, so I'm not sure how good that is, uh, actually. But this one's more of a, it's a workstation It is a workstation. Chip. It's not really meant for gaming. It is, it is an equivalent to the NVIDIA Quadro chips. Uh, sorry, Quadro cards, rather. Uh, those are meant for uh, compute and uh, uh, calculations and, you know, stuff like that, not for video games, necessarily. Uh, yeah, this one's uh, completely sealed. There are surprising sur- Apple surprised all of us in a Pro machine in 2017. It has four USB A ports, 3.1, four USB C ports, all Thunderbolt three. Um, it also has an SD card slot and a headphone jack. A headphone jack. But one thing that I want to talk about here uh, is the security uh, thing that uh, happened here. Uh, there was a there's a new chip, a new hardware chip uh, in the in the chassis, the T2 custom silicon. Um, it like it has like this encryption uh, engine, right? It has the so it's like this secure enclave for, for but for a Mac, right? So this is yeah, like the uh, like the MacBook Pro, right? right? The Touch Bar model. Yeah. So this has uh, so this this chip allows for like storage encryption keys to pass from the secure enclave to the hardware encryption engine in the chip. Uh, so your key actually never leaves uh, the chips. And it also like does like hardware verification of the OS and the kernel and the bootloader and the firmware. So this is like a complete chain of verification uh, uh, with a custom silicon chip. And that is pretty damn cool if I, if I do say so myself. That is, that is extremely cool from an InfoSec perspective. 
I think uh, those would make this hardware fairly tamper proof. I think maybe. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it. Looks like yeah. it looks like it's pretty it's pretty locked down. But uh, since I know some of our audience is falls on the free sa- software side of things, you can't turn this off. This is all this is all user disableable. So if a dis- user disable yeah, God, what's, what's whatever the proper grammatical term is for that? You can turn it off in the settings. So if uh, if you want to install Linux and all that stuff. I don't know why you would on on this computer, but if you wanted to, you could. I, I feel like if you're buying this hardware, like this is not cheap hardware by any means. It, I mean, the base price is five thousand US dollars, so obviously this is this is not a like just you know a computer that everybody's gonna buy. Uh, and even if you do, I think you're gonna you're gonna be buying it for Mac OS. Uh, you're not gonna be. It is it is for Mac OS. Uh, I suppose Mac OS Pro users. So let's talk about some Pro users. Uh, uh, Apple sent uh, the iMac Pro uh, to a fair number of uh, uh, sort of people who use uh, very heavy like video editing and like computational uh, sort of power requirements. Like, uh, so they sent one to MKBHD who has a video which we're going to be linking. Uh, who does a lot of obviously he does a lot of high, very high quality, uh, high resolution video editing. Uh, it's all 4K, right? No, actually, I think no, no, no. Wait, he does it. He yeah, he does it raw AK. He's working with raw AK with uh. It's very like so. Even even to get to load AK, right? You need like a good GPU to even like playback AK because no, I don't think any current shipping chips of Intel, except for maybe some high end ones, have any hardware decoders that can support AK natively. Yeah. Um. There's also the fact that that's a lot of RAM. Like if you want to load it into RAM, right? Like if you, your video editor, like I, I would imagine it loads like portions of the video or maybe even the whole video into RAM. Um. And it is. I mean, there's there's a post by Vincent Laforet. I don't know how you pronounce that last name, actually. But uh, he did some tests using, like, I mean, what is he, he tested, like, Final Cut Pro. He tested Adobe Premiere, uh, all the video encoder stuff. Uh, so he did, like, a software render, uh, an iMac Pro of, uh, it says, uh, 10.96 GB uh 4K H.264 23.98 FPS footage, uh, duration of 24 minutes, uh, and the transcode took like seven minutes on the iMac Pro, seven minutes and 56 seconds, and on the iMac, then the current iMac it takes 15 minutes, and on the current 15 inch MacBook Pro it takes 19 minutes. So significant uh, encoding chops here. Obviously, like it's pretty obvious that. I mean, this Intel Xeon chips is going to eat through encodes, so that's for sure. Uh, but and even even more so, right? Like the, just even the SSD in it, right? The the raw speed you get from that yes. is way yeah, the IO, better. The disk I/O is is significant <laughs> about a disk, and I think some models also come with a ten gigabit Ethernet. Uh, I don't think that's the base model, but I think the no, all do all, all, all them, models come with ooh, Ethernet. That is, yeah, all of them come. Oof, that is some significant I/O c- uh, capacity in that. Um, so like so even too right it's faster than the existing mac pro and the imac yeah right like it's this is the fastest mac apple has ever shipped even at the base model yes um so i know now there's there's an argument to be made right that like this one is completely sealed off like i said earlier but i think that in a in a world where supposedly a new mac pro is coming next year that's not as much of a problem because this is this isn't the computer, right? That you want to get if you need something that's modular, if you need to be hot swapping out GPUs no, and all that no, stuff. No, this is not not this is not the new Mac Pro you're waiting for. Uh that's gonna take a little bit longer, I guess. Uh but yeah, this is 
I mean, this is like a hardware that you can, I suppose, if time will tell, I think, the reliability of these things. Uh, I'm still concerned about the cooling. Yeah, the, the cooling. cooling yeah, yes, the- I'm concerned about uh, heat because these these chips, these Xeon chips, are significant heat producers, and I imagine the uh, the GPU in there as well, the the Vega Vega 64 Radeon uh, is also going to be very very hot, uh, or rather, running hot. What do you do? Stuff like you know, video encodes and like uh, Xcode compilations and what else, whatever else you do on a machine like this. So, and more importantly, though, right? Because this is Mac OS. <laughs> if if any of the software you use has not been updated to support Metal, right? Yeah. You uh, you really are not going to see a huge gain, yeah. Because it, all this GPU, all the, all this fancy GPU stuff, only really gets good when you start using Metal, yeah. And I, Apple's apps support it. Some of Adobe apps, I believe, do. I don't think every Adobe app has been updated to support the new Metal Two stuff in High Sierra. Yeah. So it's uh, it depends on your software, right? Like this, like we were saying earlier, like this is if you want a super high end workstation with a with a with a good screen attached, to very it, right? good screen, this yes. display. Yeah. You can you can guarantee that this is going to be well calibrated and not something you have to worry about right. so it's like if you have a mac uh, a mac os workflow that would really benefit from it yeah. like uh, we were talking about it before the podcast like for me since i do a lot of work in logic um i use xcode for things like i i could be able to take full advantage of this but for static who who plays games and maybe does some like programmery stuff sometimes yeah right? that's not like really this. uh like i don't really com- I do heavy compilations i don't write code that like i'm not a programmer so that's not really my use case either and most of my heavy GPU or resource usage is actually from video games, and I could already do that on one. Or I can build, and if I really wanted a better machine for video games, I could build one, and that would have to run Windows because most of the games, you know, uh, unfortunately, still, you know, are Windows only most of the time. Uh, so yeah, like this is not going to be actually like this is like I respect the hardware but it's not going to be a, a much good to me unless I put windows on it why would I put windows on it when I could build a pc like that is more modular right I could build a nice desktop mm-hmm. pc for probably half the price like 5000 well I Wait, well, well, it depends on the hardware. Depends because, on the hardware. Uh, like, it, I've been listening. I was. I've read some things that I do not have a link to, so I guess it's going to be mean, anecdotal. Um, but they're saying that, like, if you're trying to build a PC with the similar specs, it comes out to around. The yeah, same I'm, I'm not surprised like, about that. But if I say if I wanted to like build like uh like an i7 6770K uh 1080Ti uh hardware, like that's the, that's like basically the high end specs right now for video game uh, like gaming PCs. Uh, that would probably definitely be like what, like maybe like three grand, depending on the parts, right? Uh, three grand Canadian, maybe, uh, which is significant, but st- but but it would be more useful to me uh, for my purposes, right? Uh, so this is, I mean, this is a really like uh, reviews are like still, I mean, this, this is not. Yeah, it's only uh, these weren't like real reviews that yeah, they got. These were just like first looks. Yeah, at these it. are first looks. So, so take it with a grain of salt and. We need iFixit to take a look at I it. iFixit, yeah. Um, Nantech to really run it through his paces yep. to see like how well it handles heat. Yeah. But also, too, I kind of wish, I know Apple will never do it, but I wish this one had a touchscreen on it with like or a digitizer on it, right? So you could draw on it. No. Think of this like, no, no not, not like, what do you mean? This would be like if, if it was more like a Surface, Surface, uh, what was it? This, Surface one that you can mm, with the swivel. I, I, I Surface know. Studio. There we go. I know the thing you're Surface talking Studio. about. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, it feels like that. I, I, think, I don't think, I think Apple is interested in that uh, sort of thing for the iMac Pro. I think they 
they probably don't want to do that. Like that, that would probably may, mean compromises for the screen. I don't know, but like, I feel like the market for that is not quite there. Like, like the people who draw on on Macs, right? They probably use dedicated hardware, like uh, like a Wacom tablet, or like you know, like a Cintiq. Uh, Cintiq. Uh, they're not gonna draw on the screen. Like that's what I'm saying. Like it's not like a thing that people who are gonna draw on an iMac Pro are not gonna use the screen for it. They're gonna have dedicated specialized hardware for it. Um, that's true. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I just ever since I played with a Surface, uh, yeah, that's fair. Surface Studio. Yeah. There's, I feel like more computers should be doing that because that whole entire, even though I, Pandos is like maybe a little over exaggerated, <laughs> but like really being able to pull the screen down and like just kind of get in there and start drawing on it is really like an engaging way to make things. Yeah, and I don't know. I feel like eventually though, Apple's gonna should they probably won't yeah. but i feel like they should at the very least maybe if they don't add full touch screen support right yeah. at least add a digitizer support mm-hmm. so you could draw on it so like even if it's like a specific use case of only some apps yeah. support uh like the apple pencil i feel like that there's still there's still a, a proper use for that and in, in a place and people would want that yeah that's probably yeah but not, not right now not yet not for another probably 10 years at this rate uh <laughs> considering apple's hesitance to release this image but uh there's also yeah, another. Uh... There's another blog post by uh, Craig Craig Hunter. Uh, he goes into uh, detail. He does. He did some benchmarks with computational fluid dynamics, which is extremely out of my wheelhouse. So, uh, if you're interested in that, I'm going to put a link to it. Uh, if that is your kind of thing, he has some benchmarks, and the iMac Pro is definitely performing extremely well uh, at the benchmarks, and I would say probably a very good machine for that. I'm not surprised considering the GPU power and the CPU power in there. So take a look at that if you want. So that's the iMac Pro. Uh, it's a uh, it's a good. See, this is like the thing, right? Yeah. I'm just excited that, and I'm happy that this exists. Yeah. Because you know, Apple has not had any really like good Pro hardware in a while. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that there's a a new iMac and that for for as far as we know, until assuming heat is not a problem, right? Assuming that maybe it runs warm because it's a, freaking xeon in there right but like that heat dispension is not a problem like this is like the one of apple's first computers in years that we can just be like yeah if if you if you do work in mac os if you do computer science work if you use like heavy uh creation work like you can just buy this one with no with no regrets right because hell they even put like a 1080p webcam in this one i <laughs> mean like, that's kind first... of like at that price it's range funny. yeah like why would you not like if like if you're buying a five thousand dollar pc um i would expect man i'm just i'm just excited to see apple embrace making hardware thicker adding more ports and like also it's base gray and you can get a black lightning cable with it also I, i'm super i'm like this is probably one of the few pcs shipping like pre-built ship uh, shipping with 10 gig ethernet ports that's actually quite rare uh the standard for that Ethernet uh, or was finalized a couple of years ago, but not a lot of uh, vendors have taken outside of the server space. So uh, this is intriguing from a networking perspective as well. A significant amount of I/O for Thunderbolt and like USB three. Uh, so it's so you could like you could you could like directly have this connected to a NAS yeah, definitely. Right? using yes, that yeah. if the NAS supports it and and it's like almost as fast as doing um like local like have it, you have to plug the be a Thunderbolt yeah. or would it be really fast be a little bit slower right I mean Thunderbolt still, would be faster be or probably more efficient because it's like direct memory access but uh like ten gigs of uh either like networking I/O is is not something to sneeze at and it's significant 
so that is extremely cool. So that's the iMac Pro. Uh, we'll see proper reviews probably in a few months when people start actually getting their hands on the hardware. Uh, so next, we're going to be talking about, we're coming back, rather, to Destiny 2, three months in, right? Christian, you play the new, what is it called? The new DLC? It's a Curse of Osiris. Curse of Osiris. It's, the, uh, it's the new DLC. And uh, we're talking about Destiny today because uh, Bungie, Bungie doesn't learn, apparently. They keep, making, they keep making mistakes that they made with Destiny 1. But I guess I want to preface this by saying, before I go into the expansion and all that, that I feel like Bungie Bungie is obviously has they're not interested in making a game that you you play like an MMO. I think that's that's fair enough to say, right? Like I I think at this point some of the blame lies at the community because they're trying to turn Destiny into a game that you only play. And I feel like A, that's maybe not a little bit healthy, but also B, that's like not really what they're going for. Like so Bungie has some fault in that and the community has some as well. Because if you if you play Destiny you can kind of realize after a while that the, the game so the game doesn't tell you that you specifically have like beaten it right it sort of keeps engaging engaging you and trying to get you to come back to play it but there's not enough content to support it and how that content is tiered isn't uh it's not like once you beat the story there's a hard there's a hard plateau that says you need to do x y and z to move up to the next tier right and then you then you get into like the real end game it's sort of like a mushy slow mess where it's like you end up just being under leveled for things and the game doesn't explain to you that you're under leveled because you need to grind this activity or that activity and and then it, it creates a like a sort of a culture where the community expects that continual grind to keep going on right since the grind is implicit and that sort of quest for more power but once you reach the top it plateaus so much that there is no ascension right like this is even before you reach max light level right if you're power level if you're at like i think the current cap is 340 if you're at like 335 like to get those extra five it's so much so many hours you're putting into it and there isn't enough content to support it and with what they're doing with the content that they have they are they're gating folks out of it and they're making it more difficult for people to get into it right because even even excluding the fact that raids don't have a uh don't have matchmaking it's still like you need the new dlc if you want to play any of the end game activities now for reasons that don't the only it's an artificial limit right it's not like any of this end game activity is um a part of the new expansion there wasn't a new raid or anything like that they um launched a new mode for the raid but the entire hard mode of the raid which would get you that that final bit of gear is being uh locked off and that's why people are upset at bungie which is understandable they reverse course on it but it's still right it's like is destiny a game that you should only play no like that hard no i feel like 150 at the most is like maybe the amount of hours you should get out of it like maybe if you and your friends are playing it just well have a good time each other sure but it's not like world of warcraft right it's not like once you beat the uh the main game you can start a new alt and have a wildly different experience destiny doesn't have destiny doesn't zone like that destiny has a linear story that stays the same regardless of whatever type of character you play destiny has one raid destiny doesn't have cycling uh dungeons really like how wow has mythic and all that sort of fancy stuff or daily quests destiny only has uh well destiny does have like daily quests and like weekly goals right but the rewards they give you are useless 
in World of Warcraft, if you beat like uh, your daily missions and all that stuff, you can get things that you can use for other characters. You can get things that you can use to help build up your current character. In Destiny, you get legendary marks or you get um, experience to, to put forward to, like uh, the Vanguard or another faction where you maybe after a while might get a bundle, uh, like, a, like a loot box, right? Like that's a problem. You keep grinding to get loot boxes or you keep grinding to get higher power. But the only way to get higher power is to grind your way through like it, it slows too much, right? Like there's a curve in most games, like lower level power ascension super quick, but the higher you get, it slows down just to keep you engaged. But Destiny stretches out too much at the further end. So it just feels like this continuous grind. That's that's not fun. Which is really weird because at the end of Destiny One, right, you had so many ways of um getting to the top level. Like you didn't have to do just a raid or just the end game PvP mode. In Destiny One, it was Iron Banner. Um they even made uh, the arena mode, um, Prison of Elders, do it. Uh, there's, of course, Trials, which is in Destiny 2. There was the raid. But at the same time, Bungie also brought back old raids and all that, right? So it wasn't just one raid you had to do. There's multiple raids you could do that would bring you there. And daily missions would get you there, too, right? You could uh, use daily quests and such. But in Destiny 2, if you grind dailies and all that stuff, there's a hard lock. It won't get you that end game gear. So it's it's strange. I feel like... I know what Bungie's trying to do, right? They're trying to balance the game out so that people aren't ascending too quickly so they don't say they're bored. So, right, like I feel like there's probably like an internal time frame, like where they, of how they um, decide what percentile, like how slow the ascension is. And it's probably, they probably time it so where for most people, they will get there uh, before, like they'll get to the, just about the top level right before the new content drops. But that's not really working out in practice because the most vocal community members probably have like three characters and play this game so much that I don't know. I feel like that's what I'm saying, right? Part of it's, I think it's the community's fault because maybe you shouldn't put this many hours into the game because it doesn't have enough content to support that kind of play style. But at the same time, Bungie isn't doing as clear of a job communicating with it. But Bungie also keeps, every time it's happened, Bungie's is like, oh, we're going to uh, have better communication. And I feel like people should stop giving them a pass because the amount of times I've heard the words, we don't we don't communicate well out of Bungie's mouth have like, I don't know. There's the taking cake thing where you throw your money at the screen. Remember that one? <laughs> There's uh, when Eververse first came out, there was the launch fiasco. And now with Destiny 2, it's like what Bungie clearly is is fucking up. Yeah, um, I think uh, the, there's this editorial on, on Ars Technica titled Three Months in Destiny 2, uh, and it has a quality of life problem. And I think it makes a lot of the same points you make, how like it's the game wants you to do something else and it does another thing, and like the rewards are not good. And like the conclusion to this post is, is sort of what he alluded to when he said the community, I think some of the community anyway, is, is sort of a problem, sort of a bad thing for the game even uh, long term. Uh, it's like end game players might need to find what the game doesn't actually offer a place to stop, which is like, like that's the thing. Like the game keeps trying, like game keeps you in that loop, but it doesn't like it doesn't break it. And I feel like that is actually more harmful to the game than more more like more people wanting to grind and grind and grind. And like, how much do you want to grind? Like play something else. Like I. Like, honestly, I feel like this is sort of weirdly, like, I feel like maybe I'm siding with Bungie here, but not really. I think Bungie is also in a hard spot here. I think Bungie can't really balance the game both for the extreme hardcore and for the most of the people who don't play hardcore, right? 
who played who played Destiny when it first came out and probably pick it up again for the expansions and then put it back down, right? They're not gonna be like grinding up raids and like for exotic gear and like whatnot. Like that's not like the majority of the play base. And like what are you gonna optimize for? Like you can't have both. You can't optimize for both. I think that's that's the problem here. Uh I mean Yeah, Destiny One, right? Destiny One, by the end of Destiny One, they optimized for the hardcore power users because that's all they had left yeah. right so that's why everyone keeps saying destiny one was in a better state destiny was in a better state if you had three characters and you raided all the time right or if you consistently wanted to get those challenging modes that's how destiny one was better yeah. i don't think destiny one was any better for any light players and destiny two probably is a bit more cohesive yeah i feel like uh, when i finished destiny yeah. two uh or rather finished as in like i got bored with it um like i felt like it it the i'm, I'm not a hardcore destiny player so i have one character I I didn't even do the I didn't even do the Leviathan raid uh, because honestly I don't have the time. It takes forever to do raids. Uh, well, the thing about the raid too is right. Just so it's so, I think it's probably because of our social circle, right? Yeah. Like I just don't want to use Reddit. I don't want to use Reddit um, to find randoms to play. Yeah, with. like the problem also is a, a few compounding problems. Like we play on, I play on. Christian also plays on Xbox One. And there's just not as many people playing Destiny 2 on Xbox One. I mean, it's not a significant amount uh, overlap in social circles. Um, so, like, we, we it's hard to get a full fire team together to do a raid. And, like, everybody has different schedules, you know. Like, everybody's busy uh, with various things. And it's, it's nobody's fault that we can't get together. It's just, it's just a thing, right? Like, it's hard to get people together to do their end game content. Um and like I don't, I don't really want to do it with randoms either because it it could be like a frustrating experience, right? Like it could it could go good, it could go very good, or it could go very bad, right? Like that's like the guided games thing, like is interesting, but I don't really want to spend like I don't want to spend like a couple hours trying to do that and then fail, right? Like at last moment or something because like the group fell apart. Uh, yeah, so is this the best thing though, right? Because Destiny One, as I said earlier, right? me and you could just do prison of elders by yourself. Maybe it might be harder because we don't have a third person or maybe you can try and find one more person, but that's so much a like less of a daunting task than trying to find a group of five other people to raid with. And hopefully, you know, just hope that someone isn't an abusive dick. Yeah. Like, tr- like it's, it's like the significant like sort of requirements you need for the raids. Like, yeah, I just don't have that sort of uh, like, I just don't have that sort of time or like, I don't want to go into LFG groups and like, you know, discord servers or like subreddits, uh, yeah. to find people. And like the PVP mode too, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, um, so this really isn't about the quality of life stuff, but I just want to point out that with Curse of Osiris, Bungie broke the crucible <laughs> by releasing a gun. They released an exotic and this is a random drop one. This isn't one that you get through a quest. That would be like a one hit kill. Yeah. So if anyone had it in Crucible, you just you just like would instant die. And he's like a little laser beam, and it, it it was like a special weapon too. So it wasn't gated with ammo, right? It wasn't like only if, when someone got the ammo drop, they'd be super baller at this. No, and I don't know how they didn't catch that. But also the best part about it is like, oh, well, we'll just make Zer sell it, and then I'm like, that's not a solution. Like, yes, while you fix the bug, you should have gave everyone in the game that weapon right yeah because if zero only sells it the only people who got that gun were end game players yeah. people who beat the main story and have the uh, currency that you can only unlock once you beat the game story main story to get it if i'm a new player picking up destiny today right because i heard this new expansions yeah. out oh and i haven't picked it up yet or i'm getting it for christmas or whatever holiday thing yeah. right you open it up you go into the crucible and what you're just dying instantly and you don't know why yeah you're just gonna stop playing the game right it's it's 
it's not it's not a good time for anybody involved like honestly this is uh, like I, i'm bored with this i'm not i'm not tempted to go back and get christopher cyrus right now like i'm not it's not actually i'm playing other games right now and it's not interesting to... I mean, I only picked it up because uh, the story content. I still think the story content's good. I yeah. actually, I do like. So, I, here's the review of Curse of Osiris. Twenty minutes into this, <laughs> <laughs> Curse of Osiris, I actually think it has a really great story. Um, it adds some interesting beats. Uh, as far as Destiny can, I've given up on Bungie closing any loose threads from Destiny One. Um, I guess at this point, it's better just forget they ever existed because we have no time to explain. And I will forever make that joke, <laughs> and you can't stop me. I'm not logging off. <laughs> but, but right, it's just. I it was good for the story content. Um, I think them bringing back heroic strikes and all that is good because I still think Destiny probably should have another year in the oven, Destiny Two before it launched. Yeah, just because of how much stuff they didn't re add from the first game on on launch, especially like a private modes and stuff like that. So uh, Bungie has put out a time frame. They've put out a public release schedule. I the game's gonna get better, but for fuck's sake. In 2018, can we stop having companies ship games that aren't ready? I mean, like that's the problem. Yeah, if you, add, it's like if, as as much as I love Halo Five, that game was not great when it launched. No. It only got good a year and a half mm-hmm. in. Yeah, and that's and like how you can't convince people of that, right? Like this is the same thing. Like even from like software releases, right? <laughs> like I can only now start recommending iOS 11 to people because yeah. they fixed all those silly bugs. Yeah. Like stop. No, no one. No one is going to get mad if you delay a game because it's not ready. Like, uh, I don't know. There's, there's, I mean, there's this has nothing to there, do with Bungie. This has nothing yeah, to do with like Destiny, yeah. but it's like more of a cultural thing yeah. where people keep shipping things when they're not done. I, I mean, and like, I there are there are various cons- uh, like I'm gonna say like, there's various constraints of development that are not always apparent that would really like re- result in like earlier releases that would perhaps be good, right? Like because maybe. Um, often these things are like publishers put uh, hard requirements for for release, right? Because the publisher is also spending money, right? And they want a return on it. So, you know, there's this capitalism things going on. There's a lot of other constraints happening. A lot of things happening that we don't actually see uh, behind the scenes. So I'm not always eager to blame companies for uh, releasing something before the time. But this is a trend in the AAA video game space, I feel, more than... Uh, anything else wins. That's excusable, uh, I guess, because just because the AAA video game space has a lot of money, uh, it's just it just feels like you're getting cheated of these games that are like released in like half finished states and like not and finished like a couple years down the line. So yeah, that's I mean that's a problem that I don't think is going to get solved in 2018. It's a more cultural endemic sort of uh, thing. Yeah, it's hopefully hopefully. Hopefully, he's a little loot boxing too, right? Like you, um, you remember the news about uh, how once you reached, uh, like Bungie would only give you a certain amount of levels mm-hmm. that you gain. That you would, um, so I guess I'll explain this more properly. In Destiny Two, once you reach level twenty and you start, uh, you reach the level cap, which and every time you earn a new level, you, you'll continue, you'll keep leveling up, right? Mm-hmm. But every time you earn a new level per se, you get a loot box, and after you get like two or three levels in a week. They they dramatically slow the XP needed to uh, XP that you gain, and they increase the amount of XP needed to earn a new level, so you can't grind loot boxes. 
Yeah. And the only reason this exists, the only reason this exists is to get people to buy more uh, Destiny Silver. Yeah, to buy the microtransactions uh, in the game, Destiny Silver, as Christian mentioned, to get more bright engrams. Um Yeah, so capitalism, late-stage capitalism here, uh, it, it, it sucks. It really does suck. It, does, it makes the game worse. It, it, it is noticeable. It does affect the game. It does affect how you play the game. It will affect the game continuously uh as as much as it's there it's if, the only way to not affect the game is to remove it and and it's not going to go away like triple a video game companies are way too greedy for right now uh without any significant regulation in, in the in the horizon uh, they're going to continue uh being greedy sons of bitches so that's yeah, that's is a solution just to stop buying them? Like this is a genuine question. Yes, I mean genuine, if you can, gen- like the thing is it's not as easy to say that because these are indeed AAA video game titles and are marketed heavily and are popular and will sell a lot of copies regardless of any boycott, right? Like if you, like I can say that yeah, I'm going to stop buying games from say EA. But that doesn't actually like that's like a drop in the bucket really. Like it, it, in, the, in the scope of these companies uh, like I, I might as well not exist because like, I don't buy my transactions like that. Like I don't buy, like as as they call it, the whales. They they what they're looking for is the whales, and I'm not one. And so for me going away, like me stopping buying, not buying any EA games doesn't even matter because I don't even make them that much money, right? Because I wouldn't buy those my transactions in the first place. So like, how much does it actually matter for like your boycott? Like I think a boycott is a reasonable thing to do, a moral thing to do, but like I don't think it has a significant impact because it's not gonna like it's not gonna be a significant percentage of the people who are gonna be buying these various games. Like not all of these people who are buying these games are aware of the loot box issues. They might be tangentially aware of it, but they might they might not even care, right? Like that's the thing. Like these games are mass market and mass appeal so uh it's 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 a bigger problem than just gamers boycotting uh video games uh so that's that's my thought on boycotting uh triple a because we just we just have like a we we let the reddit outrages keep going because that's the only reason ea walked back battlefront right (laughs) i mean they did because that got that got government attention i think uh it got significant press attention and i think that's the only time these triple a publishers will bend right uh because Bad PR is, is not what they want. And and I and I, and I don't think that was a win either, as Jim Sterling mentioned. It was just the it was just EA PR just like sort of like trying to control the fire until it, it, it burns out, right? Because these things do burn out. People do get tired of outrage. Outrage is exhausting. Uh so it's it is it, like people are gonna like some people are gonna forget about it and it's it's gonna die down and then they're gonna do it again, right? It's it's like a cycle. Uh but hopefully the pressure keeps up. I think the pressure will from governments, pressure from the press, I think is critical here. The press is, I think, more important here than uh, anything else. Uh, if the press keeps talking about it, if reviews keep mentioning the shitty loot boxes, I, th- I think the video game industry will, will be forced uh, by anything. Like, like just, just for the cause of good PR, they're going to be forced to consider reconsider their business practices. Uh, hopefully that's that's hope i mean and i guess at this point right if it's just like if if the end result from this is that they charge more for games i think that's not even a that much of a problem right yeah. like i think these what's what's the whole the, the, the whole reason they keep saying loot boxes have to be a thing is because uh apparently people like paying for 
content that makes them not play the game as much which has always been a weird mm. thing right jim sterling had a video on it yeah. where like one of the arguments for shadow of mordor was like oh it's just a way to make the game go by quicker so you don't play it as much which has lots of holes in yeah. it and doesn't exactly make sense because you buy a game to play I, yeah that, yeah that's, that's whole let's not go, go too deep into this <laughs> because i feel like we have already done done this topic a couple of weeks ago i think um and there's there's a few jim sterling videos on it if you're interested in further research uh and further yeah. commentary on loot boxes uh i promise you this one this this topic won't become like the uh <laughs> the hamburger menu discourse oh god yeah it's not it's not gonna become that but it is a concern because we are talking about video games it, the next topic on the list is is more positive we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about this is the time of the year when you do you know games of the year lists uh, with a slight variation on our part, it's going to be games of the year which we played and not necessarily that came out in 2017. That's a, that's, yeah, that's, that's. I fun. think I've uh, I think I've said this one before on the podcast, but like a YouTuber I follow has always said, right, that like games that I have yet to play are new games to me. Right. So that's how I take it. Because also too, I own an Xbox, so no games came out this year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no ex- no exclusive games came out. Right. Uh, that is also a thing. But yeah, except for uh, Forza Motorsport. Motorsport Loot Box Seven. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm gonna start off with my my list uh, of games. I'm gonna just list the games and then we're gonna talk about them one by one. First, uh, no, these are in no particular order. Uh, these are just the games: uh, Near Automata, um, Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, and the Uncharted series. Uh, so I'm gonna start off with uh, Near Automata. I've talked about this game on the podcast before. It's been a while. It came out. This game came out in the beginning of the year, uh, so middle of the uh, beginning of the year. Yeah, uh, and this game is how do I describe it? It's like a, it's like an existential crisis and a game in a game. And playing it is is like you're gonna be crying and laughing, and it's 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 all sorts of emotions, uh, all sorts of world design stuff going on. It's all sorts of interesting little Easter eggs, and it's it's a good game. Like. Uh, I recommend you read the reviews for it because I'm not even doing it justice by by describing it right now. Uh, the music is amazing. The gameplay is fantastic. There's a lot of like cool gameplay mechanics that are extremely. I hope other games pick it up. Uh, so that's near Automata. Uh, it's available for PS4 and PC. I recommend the PS4 version still because I I hear the PC version is still buggy. Uh, and I, I would recommend it. Uh, so I bought it on PS4 just because a launch, the PC version was extremely buggy uh, and I decided to go with the PS4 version. Uh, so that's near Automata. Go check it out. Go read reviews because it might be your kind of game. Uh, the second game on the list, um, Horizon Zero Dawn. My, my most favorite open world game this year. Uh, uh, this game was a PS4 exclusive developed by, who was it? It was a, it's the same student that did Killzone, I think. Uh, and I think they did this game as well. They're like a Sony-owned studio, uh, which which makes sense uh, since it is a first-party exclusive. And my God, this the environment in this game, the world design, the character design, the combat, the mechanics, uh, the open-world sort of tropes that they sort of uh, changed a, a little bit. And I, I feel like it's a really good open-world game. If you have a PS4... Uh, and you like open world games? Go pick this up. I I picked the, I picked up a PS4 Pro just for this game. Honestly, like this, this was a fucking really good video game. Uh, ten out of ten. 
and I and I and I like finished it, and I I got the platinum trophy for it, which is extremely rare. I never do that. Uh, there's also like uh, new expansion content for it, which I haven't picked up yet, but I will probably will after I finish some other games. Uh, it's just it's just very good. Like it's just I'm glad to see like like and this has. And coming back to a loot boxes topic, it doesn't have loot boxes. No loot boxes. Uh, no microtransactions. The single player video game that you can enjoy without microtransactions. How novel. Uh, so yeah, go pick up Horizon Zero Dawn if you like open world games and have a PS4. Uh, the next one, uh, as, as many people might know, or you might know, uh, Assassin's Creed is, 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 is a long time sort of uh, favorite series for me and I've, I've played all the mainline games and i can say the assassin's creed origins is one of my favorite like one of my favorite like revisiting of the series like uh ubisoft took a year off uh for assassin's creed and it really shows like it, it, the game has a lot of care into it um the world is amazing and beautiful uh it's set in obviously in patillo atomic egypt uh ancient egypt uh, a certain period in, in its history, which is critical to the story. Um, and the, the main character, Bayek, is extremely likable. Uh, he's one of the better protagonists. Uh, I haven't liked a protagonist this good since Ezio. Um, and all the open world mechanics are very good. The eagle you have as a pet is extremely also very good. Uh, just just a very good, another good open world game. Uh, and it's just, like, I enjoyed it a lot. I finished it recently and i like put out like 70 hours into it which is pretty damn good i got the end game cure and whatnot uh so Assassin's Creed origins uh two and horizon zero dawn uh open world games of the year uh next one uh i suppose this is more of an honorable mention more than an uh, actual game of the year uh mass effect andromeda uh is like i enjoyed it a lot i picked it up on sale this year it also came out this year and it was already heavily discounted. There was a bunch of controversy surrounding it regarding its uh, animation quality. But animation quality aside, I thought the story was fairly intriguing. The, char- the characters you mean, the sort of, sort of stories that tell uh, the world that they build in Andromeda is very intriguing. So it's the first Mass Effect game I played and I see sort of the appeal of these Bioware uh, RPGs for people and I'm glad that I played it. The story, The story ended... Sort of, but there were a lot of loose threads that they never will close because the game is not getting any expansions. So, that, well, the comic series, I believe, they're going to close. Yeah, but that doesn't really count. Like, I, I don't really count that as sort of like uh, completing the story. I, I think it's uh, out of out of game content. I don't. It's it's not really significant to me. But yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. But the, the game is kind of it's story story is kind of sad. Like the game didn't get enough sales because of the massive amount of controversy surrounding it. Uh, EA decided to shelve the series for now, which is which is not never a good sign when EA does that. Um, that's not a good sign at all. Uh, and Massacre Andromeda is not going to get any new patches or DLC. Uh, so that's, yeah, Massacre Andromeda. Uh, is, 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 if you like the Mass Effect games, you might like this. It's, it's worth a shot, and you can probably find it on... Uh, deep discount on origin and or your on xbox live or psn uh because the game keeps going on very deep discounts so that's that's a, i suppose a good thing uh the last thing is is a series of games the i picked up a ps4 as i mentioned earlier uh to play horizon zero Dawn, but i also wanted to play through all the uncharted games 
the, my interest in the Uncharted games came from watching a, a series of Let's Plays by Chip and Ironicus. Uh, and I was like, this is a series I want to play. So I played through Uncharted 1 through 4 in order continuously. Uh, and it is very interesting to see how Naughty Dog sort of develops like the games throughout time like uncharted one was very rough and you could start like and then uncharted two you could see the like the sort of the rough edges being smoothed out and then uncharted three is really good uncharted four is is a is a is like a masterpiece uh of what they did like they polished every edge they polished every like rough like and it's such a good game the stories are i mean the stories are kind of campy and like you know they're full of tropes but uh i enjoyed them nonetheless uh, and it's worth a shot. If you have a PS4 and you haven't picked up Uncharted and you like those kind of linear sort of story-driven uh, action-adventure games, uh, give it a shot. Uh, you could probably find Uncharted Collection for discounted uh, this Christmas or probably at your game store. So that's those are my games. A fairly good list, I think. A uh, lot, of, lot of exclusives, I feel like, but uh, that's just how it is. Uh, Christian, you want to you wanna do your list? All right, so uh, my list is considerably shorter because i really didn't pick up that many new games this year i for better or worse i keep playing halo 5 because i, I like it but i'm not going to talk about it because i've talked about it all the time <laughs> but uh or i talk about it all the time rather but so my the, like also statics this is not gonna be in any particular order but um a game i want to put on there is halo wars 2 now what i i really enjoyed halo wars 2 because it is a a it's a console rts which is very rare RTSs in general are are a rare breed nowadays, and so having a console one that uh, it was a play anywhere title, right? So it's also on PC, and it's more Halo, right? Uh, a bit of a stand, um, but for, but real talk though, the story in it was great. Um, the DLC campaigns they've released so far have been really interesting. Uh, the fact that they brought back the flood is something that I do not know how to feel about. <laughs> um, not really a spoiler because it's all the advertising for that uh, DLC yeah, expansion yeah. was that the flood was coming back, but it's the gameplay was great. Um, they, the art style was really good too. It was a mix of uh, the, the halo five aesthetic with more of the halo two aesthetic, right? So it's like a little blocky, but they went back to more of that, shiny and rounded armor set that you had in halo 2 which i thought was a really interesting choice and it's just more world building um and i like stories that don't involve the master chief because i think that he's a bit of an over an overplayed character even though obviously he's a selling point yeah. but of or like he's the, the the main the main marketing yeah definitely uh, plot yeah. That, that that 343 uses but i think that side stories are interesting and um the gameplay was just fun uh, I have not played multiplayer in as much as I should. I played a little bit of Blitz, which is sort of like uh, a card-based mode where like um, you get a deck of uh, units you can deploy and the matches are shorter. That's been a lot of fun. In general, I think it was like it was a small kind of release that I got that I got a lot of uh, enjoyment out of, which is, uh, I think, going to be my theme, really. <laughs> because next up after that is Monument Valley 2. And so this is an ios and android game it launched back in june i believe or july sometime during around wwdc and the thing that i really liked about this game is that they took what made monument valley one great and they they really expanded it right like the game was longer the game had so the story in this one was a there's more of a story than there was in uh monument valley one 
it was still um they, they do sort of this abstract kind of storytelling where like you can kind of see a foil right but it's more up to you to put it together in your head than being directly exposed to you which um i think works well in small doses like this the art style of course is amazing uh the puzzles were started off easy but then it got challenging enough by the end of it and I just really love the music and the whole the whole like sense of immersion and atmosphere that this game creates, something that I really enjoyed. And it is an example of mobile games done right because there's no uh no microtransactions. Yeah. It's not fee to pay yeah, or free I'm to actually, pay. I'm actually like I never managed to get around to finishing the first Monument Valley. So I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is after I finish these single player titles like uh Dishonored Two and Prey, uh, I'm gonna pick up Monument Valley two and I'm gonna finish Monument Valley one and then Monument Valley two because uh, good mobile games like these are rare, and I think I uh, should try them. So, Christian, continue, please. Yeah, it's uh, so Monument Valley Two is a was a great game. Um, we need more mobile games like this. And the last one on my list is going to be also Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, because this is the second Mass Effect game I played. I put I've gotten halfway through Mass Effect One, but like I just got sick of the controls after a while because it was an early 360 game, right? So you could really tell that like it was it it's dated. The control scheme is not aged well in it. Um, so Andromeda was fun. Uh, banging aliens in space was fun. I've yet to beat it entirely, but uh, I've always loved those kind of sci-fi games where you just kind of just go off into space and go explore. And this definitely hit that for me. And also just, uh, I, I really enjoy the combat mechanics in this yeah, game yeah, the com- and the sense of progression. Yeah. Like the, uh, it's been a while since we've had like a really great um, science fiction RPG, right? Yeah. Yeah. All you have is really Bethesda to look to nowadays, but uh, Fallout 4 was not the best. Mm. So um, I had hoped they would bring more DLC too, because I think that it would have really finished the game off. Yeah. But because... Of EA being EA, yeah, <laughs> they killed it off yeah. too too soon. Yeah, that's but yeah though. Yeah, I... Massive Andromeda is really the sad sad game of the year. Uh, honestly, uh, just just all around. Like I, I really, there are a lot of loose ends in that story that I never cleaned up. Obviously, because they were me- like it was it was obvious that the DLC there were supposed to be DLC that you know cleaned that those loose ends up, but you know it's not happening. So that's uh that's our games of the year uh Christian, unless you have anything else to mention i think we're gonna end this today uh you can find me on mastodon at static safe at mastodon.zombaglaw.com and christian where can people find you you can find me at um chosefine at instance.business and uh you can also contact us there's a contact email contact at two shades of brown.com obviously you can go to our website two shades of brown.com the show notes are going to be there uh rss links all the links are going to be there uh you can find all the stuff there uh with that i think goodbye bye